a level and, and probably a, a, a fair level of um, suspicion, right? Um, certain things in life that you, you want, you're a bit suspicious of. You're just, you kind of tread lightly. You're not so sure. Unfamiliar dogs, for example. Don't go pet that dog unless you know, you know, it might, rawr, might snap at you. Um, dodgy used car salesman. Okay? It's not really, we want to be your best mate. No offense if you're used car salesman, but. Um, Nigerian princes who send you an email. They're often not as legitimate as they claim to be. But perhaps of all the people that you want to be cautious of these days, maybe the ones that you oh, would just, worse than a you dodgy used car salesman and a Nigerian prince, and, and maybe worse than, than, than everybody else are ministers, pastors, who talk about money. In fact, I would guess there are people here in Wyoming, on the Central Coast, the main reason, and, and you can come up to me and afterwards, you can push back on this, but I would argue, Ross, I can't see you. Um, you have such a nice face. And I have you in mind for this sermon. Back to here. So yeah, I'm not that intense. It might be a yank, but we're not all that bad. So, um, so like I, I, re- I reckon the reason that a lot of people aren't here right now sitting in church, like there's empty seats up here, or they're not sitting in this church or any other church, okay, on the Central Coast. One of the main reasons is, what are they concerned about? The church is going to take my money, right? I, I mean, I talk to people. I'll ride, I'll ride on the bus. I'll talk to people at Aaron Affair or the shops here at Wyoming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Church is going to take my money. I'm not going there. Everyone's nodding their head, so good. But let me state this up front. Let me state this as plainly as I possibly can. And, and I, I, well, I'm going to give two things. Number one, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we want you to give more than your money. We want you to give your life to Christ to be forgiven and saved. And you know what? We don't want your money. Keep your money. We're like, we're, we're in Wyoming anyway. Like, we're not, anyway, yeah. Like, we're, we don't, we're not after money. Okay? So, so, keep, so if you're here and you're not a Christian, oh, they're going to take my, keep your money. Seriously. As one of the pastors here, hear me say this, and, I'll, and Dan's not here to stand next to me, but he, I'll represent him. Keep your money. So, because God doesn't need your money. Ultimately, everything that we have belongs to him anyway. The breath that you have, the car that you drove here today or the bus, whatever. That The Bible says in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's, what a fascinating thought. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God owns everything. It's not ours. In Psalm 50, verse 12, listen to this. The Lord says, if I were hungry, like if God's like, look, if I needed a snack, if I were hungry, I would not, I wouldn't tell you. I wouldn't bother telling you. For the world and its fullness are mine. If I were hungry, you wouldn't hear about it. 
You wouldn't hear me whinging about it. I wouldn't tell you about it because the, the earth and its fullness are mine. Everything belongs to God. Even the money, now if you're here and you're a Christian and you, and you give, even the money we think that we are giving to God already belongs to Him anyway. God has never been frustrated for a lack of money. God doesn't need your money, but He cares that you give, okay? So God doesn't need your money, just to be clear, but He cares that you give, which means we are responsible to steward and to generously share all that God has given us. I'd argue this. When it comes to this idea of giving, I would, I, I, seriously, I, 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 I'm standing behind this. When you think of this concept of giving, not just giving of money, but giving of talent, giving of time, giving our whole life, giving is bound up in the very fabric of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what did Jesus say to people? Come and, when he approached people, like the, these rough fishermen on the shores of Galilee, did he say, hey, would you just pray a prayer, bow your head, pray a prayer, great, you can live your life now? No, come and follow me, right? Burn your boats. If any man would you know, come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. When, as Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, right? So I would argue that giving, this idea of giving, sacrifice, is bound up with the very fabric of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's, it's not some add-on or additional choice or even something that maybe like the SAS Christians, you know, the really committed ones sort of do out there. No, no, no. Generous giving is just basic Christianity. It's just basic, basic Christianity. That's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is this, and this is important as well, God does not condemn us for having money. The scriptures actually view money as amoral. Do you know what I mean by that? As amoral. It, it can be used for either good or evil. Uh, not to mention, the Bible, according to Deuteronomy chapter 8, actually, the Bible says that God gives us the ability through work to earn money. So, so, it's not, so money is not viewed as a bad thing. Well, well, yeah, but didn't Jesus, didn't he bash the Pharisees because of money? Not because of money. Jesus bashed the Pharisees because of their love of money. Right? It's interesting that he didn't say, and you're so rich, and da-da-da-da. He did say it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. But he didn't actually bash them for being rich. He bashed them because they loved money. The point is... You don't have to have a lot of money to be consumed by it. You can have a little bit of money and be consumed by it. We, you, I know people, literally, I have friends that have stacks of cash. And I can honestly say from my assessment, I don't know they're deep down in their hearts, but they seem not controlled by it, not, not attached to it. They're, they're unattached to it. And I've met other people who have very little money and they're consumed by it and vice versa. See, the issue 
is not the amount that we have. The issue is the response of our hearts to what we have and how we steward what we have. So here's what I want to do. And this, this is applicable to everyone in this room, kids included. We all have some measure of, of money. So why should we give? Like, you know, if you, if you haven't figured out, like I have no intention to like guilt trip anyone to give today. Like that would be a waste of your time and mine. Okay? But why? why? Like biblically speaking, like if you, if you, you know, if you believe this, <clears throat> if you believe this book, um, you need that thing more than me. Um, <clears throat> no, if you, if, if you, no one else laughed but you. That's good. But if if um, if if you believe this book, like what, like, and it, and it does talk about giving a lot, like, like what, why, right? What's the biblical reason behind it? Why? And then what should that look like? Fair enough, right? Like, I'm not gonna try to bash you with a bunch of like emotional stories or, you know, make you feel, twist your arm to give, whatever. But like, why should we give? What's the why behind it? And what's the how or the what? That's our outline for today. So, so if you're like, where, where's he going? Where's he, where's he going with all this stuff? And I'm already getting uncomfortable because the pastor's talking about money. And, and, and just so you know, I'm not, I'm not uncomfortable at all to talk about money. Um, Churches, I find, though, if you've noticed this, some churches, because of the prosperity gospel, um, some churches are super reluctant to even, like, mention money. Like, they, get, they start, like, you know, getting really nervous. And, and fair enough, because no one wants to be branded at these, at, at, like, as those absolute heretics that they are. So, but the problem, though, is churches e- either... Churches, and here, there's plenty of prosperity junk churches on the coast. I'm not going to name them. I'm tempted to. But, but um, you don't have to go five kilometers from here to reach a prosperity church. And they talk about money way too much. But then the problem is, is as a reaction to that, other churches just don't talk about money at all because they like, don't want to be put in that pigeonhole. So I think there's a balance somewhere. And, and that's what I'm hoping we can do this morning. Why give, right? Like, like why? And then what? How do we do it? That, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Happy with that? I hope so, because that's where we're going. All right. So let's, let's pray. Let's pray before we jump in. Lord, you know all of our hearts, our thoughts this morning. And we pray that what we know not, that you would teach us. What we are not, you would make us. What we have not, that you would give us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So think for a second about the Apostle Paul, okay? Apostle Paul, when you think of Paul, okay, good, there's not a picture of him or something. Um, so when you, yeah. Oh, I would, have, I would have frowned on you, man. Yeah. Nigel, thankfully, makes, I'm hopeless at PowerPoints. Dan makes really cool ones. And I emailed him this morning. I said, dude, can you make me a real handsome PowerPoint? What, something like that? Or I texted you or whatever? So he, so thanks, Nigel. Thanks for giving of your time to do that. Yeah, it's about time. No, no, but um, so um, when, you, when, you think about, when you think about the Apostle Paul, right, I wonder what sort of image or job description or, or what comes to your mind. You might think, oh, church planter, and that's true, evangelist, bloke who wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, that's pretty legit. 
missionary. All those things are true, and you could probably add more. But here's one you may not have thought of. Paul the Apostle, drumroll, the fundraiser. Now, I, I know that doesn't sound very glorious, and you're kind of like, the fundraiser. But throughout the New Testament, you can see how Paul is concerned for his fellow Christians that are actually living in Jerusalem. The, the believers there were very poor for a, a number of reasons, be that persecution, high taxes, or a famine. The reality is the church there in Jerusalem was doing it tough. They were really struggling financially. So what Paul does is he spends five years soliciting funds from other churches, from Galatia, Macedonia, Asia Minor. He solicits funds. He's literally a fundraiser in order to help this church in Jerusalem. And one church, one church that stood out for its generosity was the church in Corinth. That's the backdrop to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Now, come with me to 2 Corinthians 9. You'll see what I'm saying. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, notice what he says here. And this is a real letter written to real people. And, and Paul just gets very practical. He says, now it is superfluous for me to write you about the ministry of, for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said, you would be. Okay, what's going on there? Paul's just like, look, guys, I, I'm bragging about you to the Macedonian churches. You guys are so generous you, you were, because you were so on top of this last year. And now we're planning on making a trip to see you. But just to make sure that you're still on top of things, that you can literally put your money where your mouth is, I'm going to send a few delegates, a few, few, few guys ahead of me, so we don't show up like, they're here, they're here, they're at the city gate, and you guys are like, oh, we don't, uh, we don't, we don't have the money. I, I mean, literally, look, look what he's saying. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> but I'm sending <clears throat> the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing for you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you to arrange it in advance for the gift you promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. See how I sing to them? When it comes to giving, Corinthians, you guys are the gold star standard. Like, you're legit. Just, you know, there's been a ripple effect here. There's been a, as they say in Hawaii, a coconut wireless. There's, there's been, you know, a ripple effect of, of people, other churches are hearing how generous you are, and they've been stirred up to give more, which is great. So that said, though, look, it'd be pretty embarrassing if we show up, and I've been like, and here they are, and you don't have anything. And then you're forced to somehow scrounge up the cash. Not to mention, I look a bit silly for being so confident in you. Now, obviously, I'm paraphrasing this, but that's the gist of it, and, right? I mean, you, and you can feel the pressure 
I'd, I'd argue a bit financial pressure in a sense that he's actually putting on them here. But he doesn't leave this awkwardness in verse 6. He's, he actually seizes this opportunity to teach them about generous giving. What the nature of generous giving is, the why and the what. And he does this in a way that's both memorable and proverbial. Look at verse 6. Again, he doesn't just sort of leave the awkwardness hanging in the air saying, when I show up, you better have the cash. He, he, he actually just doesn't leave it there. He says, oh, and let me, just, let me just teach you a little lesson here real quick. Something that's proverbial, something that's going to stick, something that's memorable. The point is this, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give what he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So there's a lot of principles here on giving, but particularly what I think you can catch already is, is the why behind giving. Notice verse 7. Let's see it there in verse 7. He says that each of us should give what he's decided to in his heart. Now let me say this. Here, at this stage, the why behind giving is, so why should you give? Why should you give? Because it's good for my heart, your heart. It's good for our hearts to give. I mean, giving is a matter of the heart. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, Hold on a second. Let's, let's, let's pull back. Jesus says, do not store for your shells treasures on earth. Yeah, yeah. We sort of imagine that, right? Not shocked by that. Didn't Jesus also say foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head? Yep. We imagine that. It's not a big surprise. But the big kicker comes where he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's quite straightforward, is it not? Our hearts naturally drift toward our treasure, whatever that treasure happens to be. So let's pretend this last week gone. Let's, let's pretend that you, um, you decided to purchase some stock in Amazon or Disney or whatever. Now, I guarantee you'll have a sudden interest on how either of those companies are doing. Why? Well, because you've made an investment, you want to get a return, right? You want to see what your money's doing. Now, contrast that with the overall picture Jesus was just saying here. If you give and live your life in such a way that most of your treasure is waiting for you in heaven, that's where your heart will be. Our hearts naturally follow our treasure. I mean, think about it. Every time you give, you're making a statement that God is better than anything else you could have done with that money. Every time you give, you're making a statement that God is better than what you could have just spent that money on. You see, the Lord cares about our giving, not because He needs our money but because he wants our hearts. So friend, can I encourage you, give 
give because it's good for your heart. And you should also give, and I don't think this is a bad intention, because you are actually storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. Giving provides heavenly treasure. Look at, I mean, you don't believe me? Look at verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's pretty plain, isn't it? The lesser sowing, the lesser reaping. The greater sowing, the greater reaping. Who's Paul writing to here? It's writing, he's writing to Corinth. It's a bustling, very successful city, probably closer to Sydney, something like that, on the Aegean Sea. And he gives this farming principle. Wouldn't have been lost on them, though. And think of a farmer. Think of what he does. If These are seeds, by the way. I'm not a farmer. But let's just say that the farmer decides, oh, look, I'm, a bit, I'm feeling a bit, I've got this, this is all I've got for my seeds. So I'm feeling a bit, feeling a bit stingy. I'm just going to drop a little here. That's it. That's it. Well, guess what? Logically, is he going to reap a lot? No, of course not. But if he's generous, I'm not going to start throwing seed everywhere. <laughs> that's, all, that's all people to remember. Remember that day when the pastor was like making a mess of the place? You know? So like, but if, but if, you get the principle? But if the farmer says, oh, look, I'm actually going to be, I'm going to be generous, um, I'll, well, I'll reap. I, you don't have to be a horticulturalist or some farmer to understand the point. God blesses people in proportion to their giving. The more one gives, the more God gives back in return. Now, I know that's smelling prosperity-ish. You're getting a little, oh my gosh. So it's worth pausing for clarity. The reward promised is very real, but it's spiritual in nature. Remember what Jesus said? Matthew 6, lay it for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven, right? If you give more, let me be clear here, God may choose to increase your net worth. He may. But he's in no way promised such a thing. And any Christian, Christian teacher who promises or insinuates a better marriage, a better bank balance, or a better GP visit because you gave to his or her ministry should be avoided. That person is a rat bag and a liar. But again, let's not swing the pendulum too far. Remember, let's not just... Bad, bad, bad. Swing the pendulum over here. Listen, don't miss, don't, don't let, don't miss this. It seems that both Jesus and Paul, though, urge us to lay up treasure in heaven. How? By giving. I, plain sense is right there. Again, I'll just read it. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There is an incentive for eternal rewards. Jamie Dumlop helpfully puts it this way. He says, if you're a Christian, you should be living so that if heaven turns out not to be real, your life will have been in utter 
failure, a calamity. Your calling is to put all your eggs in one basket, the basket of Jesus' promises. Now, I thought about this. I, I Honestly, I had a really good think on this this week. If all this Christian stuff turns out to be a sham, just for argument's sake, do you ever think about that? I do. Is this all just a bunch of nonsense, tradition that we somehow like, and we're just too stupid and too pathetic to like think more creatively than what we currently have right here, and this is it? I, I think about that stuff. So maybe you don't. You're like, oh my gosh. It's fine. But if, but if, all, this stuff is just, if all this stuff is just fake, okay? if all this stuff is just a sham, let me ask you this. Would you regret the time and the money and the energy that you've put towards it? I mean, think how you'd answer that for yourself. If following Jesus hasn't cost you anything, is it real for you? I mean, if following Jesus has cost you nothing, be that financially, your time, relationally, just roll with me here. What reward in heaven do you think awaits you? It just, if you just read the, like, this idea of reaping and sowing here, just read the, what Jesus talks about, about storing up treasure in heaven. Like it, 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 it's kind of like, you know, during the Olympics when you see these Olympians go off on the, on the balance, what is it, the balance beam or whatever it's called, and they're doing like these crazy flips and cartwheels, and they, they do these amazing presentations, and then they go, boom, like that, and everyone goes, ah, right? Well, I, I feel like a lot of Christians these days, our life is like we're holding on to the beam for dear life. That's what our life looks like. And we're holding on to our finances like this. And then we're hoping just to sort of die in our sleep and sort of slide off the, you know, just not really take a lot of risks and not really give of our time, of our money and thing. We just kind of slide off the beam and then, and, and, you know, just have a comfortable life. And then we're going to stand before God and go. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow, here's your reward. It's ridiculous, right? So, so when, if you're, feeling, if you're feeling the pinch of this, can, can, honestly, can I just push you here? When are you going to start upping your giving? And I don't mean just, you know, whip out your car and start tapping. I mean like your time, your treasure, the talents that God has given you. When are you going to start putting your shoulder to that so you don't look like the person clinging to the beam, that you're actually doing the backflips for the glory of God? I mean, from the world's perspective, could they accuse you of being a bit nuts for the money and the time and the effort you've given to this Christianity thing? Or do you look just kind of like them? Not much different. You see what I mean? L listen to what one really rich bloke who could have made Forbes magazine in his day, King Solomon. Listen to what King Solomon says. Proverbs 11. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. 
So church, can I encourage you, give because it's good for your heart and give because at the end of the day, you have an eternal reward. And you can glorify God, which is what you're made for. So that's the why. Give because it's good for your heart. Give because you're storing up actually treasure not here on this earth, but in heaven. But how does this all look? What, like in what way does this play out? Well, what should our attitude be when we give? It should be cheerful and deliberate. So when we give, we should give cheerfully and deliberately. Come again to verse 7. Look at what he says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? We all know this phrase, right? Cheerful giver. Now, Paul has something. I want you to think about this. This is quite astounding what Paul is saying here. God, let's pull back, because, you know, that phrase, God, you know, ah, it kind of just annoys I want to go on a rant so badly here, but I will refrain, right? Um, I've gotten a lot better in the last five years of pastoring here of not going on my rants, and I'm going to keep that track record. So, particularly now this is being live-streamed, so... I want you to think about this, though. We've all heard that phrase. That, that was the thing that was irking me. It, it's become sort of, the thing that was irking me is, you know, oh, God loves a cheerful giver, and you sort of hear that every time the little offering bucket's being passed around. That's the thing. shouldn't irk me. Like, why am I so upset about that? I don't know. Because I'm a sinner. I'll tell you about things. <laughs> okay? But I want you to think about this, though. God loves a cheerful giver. So, so, so think about this. God delights in those who delight to give to him. It's an amazing assertion if you just stop and think about that. The Lord takes a special pleasure, has a special joy in our giving to him. Like, God delights in that. I mean, if you happen to give to a charity, which is fine, does that organization really care what your intentions are when you give? Not really. How could they even discern it, too? You can fake it till you make it. Uh, you, can, you can do all kinds of stuff. Here I give this much. I mean, they, why would they even care? You're just, you're, the point is that you actually, you know, tap your card and give to their organization. But not so. The Lord cares for our reasons in giving. And it is the cheerful giver that pleases him. I mean, imagine if I just said to you, God, God is pleased. Well, how? Or do you, or reverse it. Do you want to please God? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I do. Then give cheerfully. It's been said, fear makes you give because you have to, whereas love makes you give because you want to. Fear makes you give because you have to. Love makes you give because you want to. It was my wife's birthday a few days ago, and I brought her some flowers. Now, imagine if I brought her flowers and she was like, wow. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, it's your birthday. Imagine the look on her face. That'd be terrible. No, no, no. I brought her flowers because she's delightful and beautiful and she's my wife. And in some small way, I want to communicate my love to her. In a similar way, friend, our hearts will swell with the desire to give 
when they swell with an appreciation for how amazing God is. Giving is a response to God's generosity. Go just a page over. Look what Paul says. Notice the little template that he uses. He talks about Christ giving. In first, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 8, notice what he says here in verse 9. He says, 2 Corinthians, just the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty might become rich. Isn't that amazing? Notice how he points to Jesus, actually, as the supreme reason for generous giving. No one was richer than Christ, and no one became poorer than him. Alistair Begg helpfully puts it this way, the self-giving and the self-impoverishment of the Son of God is the driving principle that Paul uses to release God's people in giving. That would have been with a Scottish accent, which I won't do because people have made fun of me for that, but I will just read it in my accent. The self-giving and the self-impoverishment of the Son of God is the driving principle that Paul uses to release God's people in giving. That's really helpful. Jesus gave up his entire life for us. That thought should startle us. He was generous with his entire self. And when we find ways to act with generosity, we are aligning ourselves with Christ and with the gospel message. Joyful giving will be in response to his grace. So give cheerfully and give deliberately. Give cheerfully and give deliberately. Now, I want to show you an interesting verse. Go to the left. You already went to the left. Just go more pages over to the very end of 1 Corinthians. This is likely one of those verses we skim over, right? But I reckon there's some helpful tips on how to give, on how to do it deliberately. Look what I'm saying here in 1 Corinthians. So just keep going to the left. 1 Corinthians 16, very end of it here. Well, we'll just go to the last chapter, I should say. 1 Corinthians 16. Notice what he says here, the very beginning of 16. Notice how deliberate this is. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I direct the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, that's, that's a Sunday, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. You know, isn't that interesting? It's so practical. We often, I think though, and I don't know why this is. I don't know if, I don't know if like the last hundred years, sort of the, the focus on the spirit has messed things up. I don't know what the deal is, but we often have this, I think, really backwards notion about giving that spontaneity is really the height of spirituality. Like if you kind of feel it in that moment, you're just going to give. Paul's advice in this verse is, is really the opposite. He said there should be some level of, of planning. He tells him, you notice, to put something aside every week. 
Look, I believe the Holy Spirit is just as active in your life when you are planning your budget as when you are singing at church. Serious, mature Christian giving will be regular, systematic, and without whinging. It's done deliberately. I love our church covenant. Our church covenant is beautiful, and it articulates and outlines what it means to do life together as Christians. Our church covenant says this about giving. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the financial needs of this church and to the spread of the gospel around the world. Beautiful. I love that. We will contribute regularly and cheerfully to the financial needs of this church and the spread of the gospel around the world. Now, see, the reality is, though, some of us are not very deliberate with our money because we don't have much. And that sort of then we can, and I know that's sort of been the thought process. I, well, I don't know, but I can guess that's probably been the thought process of some people in here. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't have any money. By the way, no one ever thinks they're rich. Have you ever noticed that? I, I just for fun, when I go to the shops, because I have to buy oodles of milk because I have four kids, and they drink a lot of milk, so do I, guys. And they go, oh, wow. I mean, like, you know, boop, 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 boop. And they go, oh, my gosh. And I go, oh, that's, that's cool. I'm, I'm rich. I just want to, I just, I just want to see, I want to see. And then they go, wow, yeah. And I go, I'm not actually rich at, at, at all. Um, I'm, I'm rich. I'm just not wealthy. Like, I, I don't have, like, in fact, it might go decline. <laughs> so I have to, like, take some of the other milks off. Oh. And, but, you know, but, but no one ever thinks they're rich, right? And, and let, here's another thing. People often have this, I think, really fallacious way of thinking, and that's this. In fact, probably all of you have thought this or said this at a point. Oh, if I was rich, I'd give so much. It's not true. It's not, because you're being stingy right now. So what makes you think that when you have more money, you wouldn't, you'd, you'd be generous, like, it, it's, you, you've, you've embedded principles in your life where you're just tightwad. So you're not going to, just because you, if you won the lotto, which I wouldn't recommend doing, but if you won the lotto, you're not going to be, you're, you'll just be just as stingy. And, and so, like, people think that, well, I, I can't be deliberate with money because I don't have any. But consider, friend, some of the characters in the Bible who didn't really have much at anything. Like, how about the nation of Israel when they have left captivity? Granted, you know, they plundered the Egyptians, but still, they're not working jobs. They don't get money from the government. And they're out in the desert, out in the bush, and God says, I want to build this tabernacle. All right, how are we going to do that? Well, ladies, take off your earrings. Chuck them in a, in a, in a big thing here. Blokes, you got some extra cash? We need, we need money to build the tabernacle. God actually calls upon these redeemed people I think there's a principle there, though they don't have much to still give. Or how about, how about the, look at this, go, go, go back to our passage here and look at chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. This is amazing to me. There's a church in Macedonia and they gave out of extreme poverty, like they literally, they were poor. 2 Corinthians 8, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to us among the churches of Macedonia for in severest tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their need, means. 
as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Isn't that incredible? Here's these, this church in Macedonia. Again, guys, can we just stop over-spiritualizing the Bible too? These were just people with problems just like us. They had gotten fights with their spouses just like us. They stressed about finances just like us and all the like, and these are just normal people. And they were like, oh, please, can we give? And Paul's like, dude, you don't really have much. And they're like, can we just please give to the saints? It's incredible. But they budgeted. So look, look at that verse again, 1 Corinthians, or I'll just read it. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Can you see how Paul encourages each individual to give? Notice, as he may prosper. Again, not a prosperity preacher. But what is he saying? If you make a little bit of money, you're not exempt from not giving. And if you make a lot of money, you're not exempt either. In other words, let me just brass tacks here. If you make money, Find out what that means is you have to support your family, okay? Um, you have to feed yourself and all those things, but you should budget in such a way to where you can actually give your money to what God has asked you to give. Like, be that a little bit or be that a lot. That's, it's not the amount that really matters. Now, regardless of the amount, let me ask you this. Is your giving... Is it right, right now, like today, if you just don't pull out, and, you know, if you did that on an Excel spreadsheet and you want to look at your gift, don't do that now, but just, just you, you sort of know, hopefully you've been listening about and thinking about your own budget and stuff, but right now you're giving. When you think about your giving, like right now, is your giving, is it enough, is it a sufficient amount where it actually affects your heart? If one reason for our giving is to draw our hearts toward heaven, as we just learned, is your current giving substantial enough to do that? Now, let me say this. I don't know who gives in this church. I have no idea. Nigel knows. But I, I, I have no idea. I don't have a list. You know, who's, uh, so, so, so that's not aimed at, like, in the back of my mind right now, you know, I was joking with Ross earlier, like, put the thing, like, I don't know. This is between you and God, but is, is, is the giving that you're currently doing, is it, is it causing you, I'm not, don't no, mishear me, I'm not saying don't, don't be stupid and don't be irresponsible and like, you know, with your money, that's not what I'm saying, but is at least, is it causing you to really say, ooh, this, mm, I'm gonna do this in faith. Is, is it enough, is it substantial amount enough to do that. There's, there's no Christian stooges in the Bible. It doesn't exist. And, and our posture as believers is not to have this, but this. I remember when I lived in Hawaii, and I'd always, because they're very tribal in nature, and I'd approach some of the kids and they'd have a lolly and, you know, being the larrikin that I am, ooh, like I'm going to eat there. Never once did they ever go recoil their hand, right? It was always this. 
Now, they're sinners just like all the rest of us. But there is something embedded into that culture which says, no, I'm, I'm going to give. And I just remember looking at these kids, and I was like, no, that's all right, man. Eat, you know, eat your lolly. I'm not going to, I don't want it. You know? But I just remember thinking, wow, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful reflection of what the church should look like, isn't it? That we actually like freely give of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, whatever that looks like. That we're not doing this, that we're doing this. I, I hope you're capturing a vision too today too. This idea of giving is so much greater than just the money you throw into something. Like it's 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 the whole posture of your heart. Does that make sense? It's it's not just like I hope you're not hung up on dollar signs and stuff like that. Because again, I don't even know what I don't even know who gives what. No idea. But it's this. I hope the Lord has, has really spoken to you through his word this morning about what it means to give. And can I encourage you guys, this church has been on the receiving end of receiving a whole lot. Beyond just the gospel itself. I mean, there's no way fiscally we sh- that you should have two pastors. You know that, right? Like, I don't know if you like, you shouldn't have Dan and myself because we're that good. No, 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 no. But like, no, you really shouldn't. Like, people have given and continue to give in order that Dan and I have been able to serve here the last few years. Without that, we wouldn't be here. That's not to guilt trip you. That's just say the reality. Like, where, where do you think the money comes from? So like, this, this church has been very fortunate. God has blessed you. And especially with Dan. Yeah, it's all thank you. I know. But I just say that, again, don't feel that as like, oh no, oh no. Like, just say it, it's like, you, you've been given much. And so much is expected of you as a church. And that's why I think it's a beautiful thing when people understand the value of covenanting together as a church. And they understand the, the value of not just saying, oh yeah, I might give, but put they're pinned to paper, signing our church covenant, becoming a member here and saying, I am going to commit to this. Beautiful thing. I praise God for all of you that have done that and take this serious. Praise the Lord for that. So it's a beautiful thing of actually like saying, I'm committing to this. You want more questions about, you have questions about that? I'd love to talk to you afterwards about what it means, what membership means and all that stuff. So we're actually, in a few weeks, we're going to have a chance to vote in some, some new members, which is just, just, just so exciting. I'm just absolutely thrilled about it. So had a chance to talk with some of you this week. So hopefully some of this stuff has been helpful. Um, I hope, you know what I hope? Uh, here's, I guess, my concern. Um, I, oh, maybe it speaks more about you, that some of you are just hung up on one little thing I said, and you're sort of not hearing all the thrust of this, this really good biblical principle stuff. Like you're still kind of like churning over one little tiny bit I ho- and then you're kind of like able to dismiss and then sort of just, in other words, you can just do this more. But I really pray that that's not the case, that you're actually saying, oh wow, the Lord's really encouraged and challenged me this morning. Like, like even just, can I just say, I, I mean, I'm up here talking, but I feel just as challenged by this. Okay, This isn't just, you guys need to hear, like I, I'm like, dude, I'm the first guy that needs to hear this. And, I, and I'm grateful the Lord has grown me in this area. 
to be, to be generous and, and give. So um, let's pray and thank God for his generousness to us and his giving to us through Jesus. And, and let's celebrate that time in the time of communion. Sound good? Lord, we praise you that the Lord Jesus, that he was, though he was rich, yet became poor for our sakes, that we might be saved. Lord, as we reflect upon these truths of Scripture, help us to be people that are not tight-fisted but open. Lord, we want to be like Jesus who gave his whole life. Lord, who was the least stingy person that's ever existed. Lord, we, we pray that our, our giving would be of an overflow of gratefulness to you, that it would be deliberate and cheerful. Pray that your spirit would enable us to do so this week. Lord, we pray for some people here that, that they actually wouldn't compartmentalize their faith and take the time this week to set a budget if they haven't already and process how they can give more of their time and of their talent and of their treasure that you would help them in that regard. Lord, maybe some of us that already have a budget need to go back and look at it again in ways that we can give more off the top. Lord, you know all the, all the avenues of which we can do that, so we pray that you would help us in that endeavor. And now, Lord, as we reflect upon Christ and his body broken for us, may we celebrate you, the giving God to us, that we may have life. In Christ's name, amen.